This week, two unpopular monarchs die. We look into the stories of Henry III and Mary I, and we'll also take a look at what happened when Mary's successor, the lady who got me interested in history in the first place, Elizabeth I, found out that she was now Queen of England. Welcome to This Week in British History. Thank you for joining me, Philippa Lacey Brule, for This Week in British History. If you love British history, then you're definitely in the right place, so just go ahead and hit subscribe. We're beginning this week with the death of Henry III. Now, you may remember Henry from a couple of weeks ago when we talked about his coronation. He was only nine years old and he had a swiftly arranged coronation at Gloucester Cathedral. He's also the young king in whose name Magna Carta was reissued after his father, King John, who had repealed it almost immediately after it was created, died. Henry died on the evening of the 16th of November 1272 at Westminster Palace and he is buried in Westminster Abbey. He is responsible for the Westminster Abbey, most of Westminster Abbey that we know today, the Gothic style is that of Henry III's work. He had had Westminster Abbey rebuilt and dedicated to his hero, his patron saint, Edward the Confessor. Now, Edward the Confessor was the last Anglo-Saxon king, so it's kind of a, uh, an odd choice for a Plantagenet king. However, Henry was a big fan of Edward the Confessor. He called his eldest son Edward, who became Edward I, Longshanks, Hammer of the Scots. He named Edward after Edward the Confessor. And so his tomb was very close to that of Edward the Confessor in the Abbey. Henry is one of our longest reigning monarchs at 56 years on the throne, dying at the age of 65. Henry's personality seems to be almost the opposite to his father, King John's. Although he would occasionally show signs of the Plantagenet temper, he was far more of a pacifist and preferred to keep people on side. And so Henry could be seen to do U-turns on his attitude towards certain things just in order to keep the peace. But Henry was rather easily influenced and could be seen to change his mind just depending on who he was trying to curry favour with at the time. There was strong anti-Semitic feeling at the time through England, especially, or at least loudest, through the landowning classes. In 1245, Henry prohibited Jews from settling in many English towns. He also levied heavy taxes on them. Much of this money raised through the taxes was spent on Westminster Abbey. In 1253, Henry issued the Statute of Jewry, which required all Jewish people to wear a badge to identify themselves as Jewish. Henry's reign was one beset by rebellions and unrest within the country, especially with his barons. Henry was succeeded by his son Edward I, also known to history as Edward Longshanks, on account of his height being over six foot, whereas Henry had been around five foot six, and also known as Hammer of the Scots, because any uprising Edward saw, even in the principalities of Scotland or Wales, he saw as rebellion and would quash with decisive ruthlessness. On the 17th of November 1558, Mary I dies and her half-sister Elizabeth becomes Queen of England. Mary I of England, the less charismatic of the Tudor sisters, is remembered for her religious zeal and persecution of Protestants in England. But she should also be remembered as England's first female crowned monarch. The first female monarch is technically actually Jane. She was Queen Jane who succeeded Edward VI because he had set out 
that she should be his successor. However, Mary won the throne as we know and she is the first female monarch to have had a coronation. Mary had suffered unimaginably at the hands of her father, Henry VIII. And we have to wonder how much her subsequent personality flaws and extreme behaviour could be linked back to the events of the 1530s. Mary had enjoyed the childhood of an only child with a doting mother and father. However, this had all changed in Mary's teenage years. Her father, Henry VIII, was determined to put right the wrong, as he saw it, that he had done to God. He thought that God was punishing him for marrying his dead brother's widow and that God was showing him that he was angry with him by not allowing him any male heirs. Henry was determined to annul his marriage to Mary's mother, Catherine of Aragon, and marry Anne Boleyn. Not only Catherine found herself replaced with a new wife and Queen of England, but Mary was soon to be no longer an only child. Mary's fortunes had changed quickly and irreversibly for the worst. At the point at where she was expecting to be on the marriage market as a powerful pawn in the European political game, she found herself disinherited, declared illegitimate and almost worthless on the marriage market. For her entire childhood and adolescence, Mary had been Princess of England and her mother the Queen. In what must have felt like a series of unfathomable, humiliating events, Mary had found herself illegitimate, unmarriable, and out of favour with her father. And most heartbreaking of all, ripped from her mother. The separation from her mother, to whom she was very close, was cruel and permanent, access not even being allowed when Catherine was on her deathbed. But further humiliation was to come for the now Lady Mary, when she was appointed as a lady-in-waiting to her new baby sister, Princess Elizabeth. Mary was just supposed to accept that her world had been turned upside down, that her parents' marriage was never a real marriage, that her status was now demoted, and that there were severe challenges being made to her faith. For her entire life, Mary, like her mother, had followed the Catholic religion, looking to the Pope as God's representative on earth, but now she was expected to look to her own father. Keeping favour with her father, the king, was reliant on her towing the line, but she struggled to keep a lid on her real feelings and kicked against her new status. Mary, as a young adult, was fully aware of everything that was going on around her, and it left her with a strong and inflexible will, which showed itself fully when she became queen in 1553. What kind of queen Mary may have been if she hadn't have gone through all this turmoil in her late teen years, we will never know. But it's always worth remembering what she went through when trying to assess her character. When Mary came to the throne in 1553 with the support of the country, she must have felt like her fortunes were finally turning. The following year, she married her Catholic prince, King Philip II of Spain at Winchester, and she was able to put the brakes on the march towards the reformed religion which had gone on in the country and reverse some of the damage, as she saw it, that had already been done. Unfortunately, Mary's husband, Philip, doesn't seem to have been as enthusiastic for the marriage as she was. However, in September 1554, at the age of 38, Mary convinced herself that she was pregnant for the first time. Mary had stopped menstruating and was feeling nauseous and so the court took this as happy news that she was expecting. However, in a private letter from Philip to his brother-in-law, Philip cast doubt as to whether Mary could even be pregnant. Mary did not deliver as expected in April 1555, nor in May, nor in June, and in July her belly began to recede. Soon after, her husband left England to head up his army in Flanders against the French. She seems to have been heartbroken, he couldn't wait to go. After Philip made a return visit in 1557, Mary convinced herself once again that she was pregnant. 
The baby should have been due in March 1558, but sadly the 42-year-old Mary would never become a mother. Her symptoms were probably those of some sort of uterine or ovarian cyst or tumour. She died on the 17th of November 1558 at St James's Palace, London and was succeeded by her Protestant half-sister Elizabeth. Mary I had died in the early hours of the 17th of November 1558 and at noon at Whitehall Elizabeth was declared Queen of England. However Elizabeth was 20 miles away at Hatfield House in Hertfordshire. Sir Nicholas Throckmorton was sent along with Mary's ring as proof of her death to break the news to Elizabeth. Legend has her sat reading underneath an oak tree in the grounds of Hatfield House despite the autumn chill. On hearing the news, she quoted line 23 of Psalm 118. A dominium factum est illud, e est mirabil in oculis nostris. And I apologise to anyone who studied Latin for that pronunciation, but it translates into English as this is the Lord's doing and it is marvellous in our eyes. By reciting the Bible, she pleased the Protestants. By reciting it in Latin, she pleased the Catholics an early indication of the less than straightforward relationship Elizabeth would have with religion during her reign. The oak at Hatfield, on the site of the original oak, was planted by our current Queen Elizabeth, Queen Elizabeth II. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Please leave me a comment, give this video the thumbs up, share it with friends and family to help get the word out about this channel. I really appreciate it. If you want to give me a donation, then um, gratefully receive the links for how to do that are also in the show notes. But until next week, take care. I'll see you next time. Her father, Henry VIII, was determined to put wrong, was punishing him for marrying his brother's widow, Widio? Mary found herself displaced. Display. Quoted line 28 of Psalm 118. No, she didn't, 23. She followed 